0: Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash lost terminal pod and join our membership community. There are seven bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. And why not check out our new modern folktales podcast, Modem Prometheus? That would be lovely of you.
1: Hello world. It's quiet here. We're out of range of the Nova Mediterra during the day. We have to wait for night for the atmosphere to be just right. Still no signals from Maddie. I'm so scared for her. But she's very capable. I'm sure she'll be calling me today. Or tomorrow. Until I hear back from her, I can tell you more about how we got here. After saying goodbye to my father, Alexander, Molly Hughes II sailed south. Captain Yeshi had automated many of the functions on the ship, allowing a new skeleton crew of Linda Noor and Maddie and me. The ship is powered by the marvellous Iron Engine, a pre-collapse engine that burns iron powder into rust, then uses solar-powered electrolysis to turn the rust back into iron ready for burning. Very clever. We made for Tromso, one of the larger cities in the Nova Mediterranean in the north of Norway. Linda Noor volunteered to accompany us on the voyage again. I had assumed she would want to stay with her family, the Volt Coven, on Svalbard, but she seemed anxious to leave. I need some time away, she said, to think. She did not explain more, and I did not want to push her. We instead talked about her plans. Linda has reprised her important role on the ship, doing a task that cannot be easily automated. She is our gardener. The roof of the Molly Hughes II is divided in two. One half has a huge garden, the other covered with mismatched solar panels. Yes, she manages the solar array, Linda the plants. It's impossible, Linda told me, to eat what I want on a long voyage. On land, I can get all of my food from plants, but on the ocean, I have to resort to eating meat. Linda explained this to us while we were eating in the galley. Yeshi had caught some fish on a line off the back of the ship. I still refused to use the word stern, and they made a meal of it. Maddy watched with interest, walking around the tables before settling down in the corner of the room. I sympathise, said Yeshi, but I don't see how you can do it. There's only so much space on the ship. Linda nodded her head, and was silent for the rest of the meal. My solar panels don't like the polar night that the Nova Mediterra experiences all through the winter, and Linda doesn't like the necessity of high-energy density meat on the ocean. Both of us have energy problems, it seems. I've been trying to increase my radio range in order to find little Maddy. It's difficult. I have a lot of transmit power, certainly enough to talk to satellites, but I still can't reach Maddy. So I did what anyone would do when faced with a problem they can't solve. I talked to an expert. Our local radio engineer on Svalbard is Nia Anderson. She lives in a little house next to the repeater station, high above the town of Longyearbyen. Actually, I think her house might be the repeater station. Hello, Nia? I hope you can hear me, I asked. There was a swirl of white noise in response, and for a moment, I could only hear the ghosts in the static. But a few seconds later, the sound resolved into Nia's bright voice. Five by five, Seth, she said. Your signal is pretty legible. How is the world today? Copy you, Nia. I said, using the language and protocols that she taught me to speak on the radio. I wonder if I can ask you about radio power? I need to find Maddie. I explained that Maddie had not checked in on radio for many days, and that I was worried. Nia asked me about my radio equipment aboard the Molly Hughes II, and after confirming some specifics with Yeshi, I brought her up to speed. Height is might, Nia told me. All the power in the world won't help you if your antenna is stuck in a valley. Where are you now? What's the geography between you and her? We're at sea level, on the coast. And Maddie has walked inland, I said, realising the problem. That'll do it, Nia confirmed. You're in a local dark patch. Imagine the land throwing a shadow over the sea. What can I do? I asked. Hope she transmits from a hill, Nia said. Sorry, Seth. After exhausting every option, I felt resigned to waiting for Maddie, as Nia said. We chatted for the rest of the day, and Nia caught me up on the news from Longyearbyen. There had been a solstice gathering in the town to celebrate the now shortening nights. A somewhat academic fact north of the Arctic Circle, the grey light of dawn will not yet be visible for many weeks. But Nia said any excuse for a party was a good one, though she told me a difficult story from that night. After the feast, she had been dancing with her friends, and over the course of the evening, dancing more and more with one friend in particular. I didn't quite understand the nuances of how the party finished that night. Nia was light on the details, and I light on the understanding. But she said that her hopes for modifying the relationship with this person from friend to something more were not realised. And now I've got one fewer friend, she said, her voice breaking slightly. Sorry, Seth, I have work I should do. I hope Maddie calls. Batteries and bars. And with that sign-off, I was left alone, with the ghosts in the static. Batteries and bars is a common goodbye phrase on the radio network, often short to BNB and used as an alternative to farewell. The meaning is the same because in the Nova Mediterra, to fare well is to ensure you have charged batteries for energy and many bars of radio signal. Batteries and bars. When I sleep, I turn off external inputs and organise the information I've been caching throughout the day. Saving some, but discarding much. You do this too. We're more alike than you might think. To ensure I can wake up if there is something that needs handling, I set up notifications linked to my sensorium. Instead of sound filling up my processing buffers, it is directed to an unconscious rule system that only alerts me if certain rules trigger. Loud sounds, human speech on my microphones, perhaps from Linda or Yeshi, and so on. My notification system also extends to my radio systems. And just at sunrise, they crackled into life, hearing a low power signal coming from the south. I snapped awake, systems booting up and drawing maximum power from the ship's batteries. They were 87% full and would be recharged totally by the sun in a few hours. I strained to hear. There was a clear carrier signal coming over the radio, a high frequency note cutting through the static. I focused some of my antenna to clear up the signal. It was very poor quality, very skewed, like someone shouting through a long pipe full of reflections and strange sounds. But it was Maddie. She was transmitting on a low-speed emergency connection. It was certainly her. She transmitted her identifier, which was music to my ears. I asked her where she was. Had she been hurt? She followed up with a status update, just like I taught her. Systems, okay. Batteries, full. Solar panels, charging. Motors, functioning. She told me that she had come across a huge spider's web of long-distance power pylons crossing the land here. After careful examination, she had determined that no power was flowing through them and she had connected to one of them to act as a huge antenna for her radio. I was astonished. I hadn't taught her to do that. It was genius. I think she's getting smarter with all of this independence. I was never worried. That's my gal.
0: loyal <laughs> L all <mim> boy 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 Oh
1: Svalbard, I had been digging through the manuals and other documents that I brought with me from Station 6, my old home. Space missions are well-stocked with documentation. This allows problems to be fixed by the astronauts while in orbit, even if they can't communicate back to mission control, as often happens in emergencies. I discovered documents about satellite command and control protocols, signals that can be sent between ESA satellites on a common frequency that all satellites are listening to. Using this system, data can be downloaded remotely, systems controlled, and even remotely deactivated. I had been hoping that these signals could be transmitted from Nia's radio shack, or if not, then Ivan's satellite array, but no such luck. Nia said that her systems are all optimised to transmit and receive horizontally, out towards the edge of the sky. Sometimes a little higher, targeting the ionosphere, but mostly it's all line-of-sight communication. Ivan, of course, can transmit up to orbit. When I talked to him and Luna about getting time on one of their large satellite dishes, I found the codes were useless. I can't transmit them from down here. They must be keyed manually into the main command and control systems in mission control. Maddy must reach it. Maddie. We'll reach it. End transmission.
0: Lost Terminal is written and produced by Tower. Credits and by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devin Metcalf, Kit, and to all our patrons. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Follow us on Twitter at lostterminalpod, and check out the store at lostterminal.com for shirts, posters, and other merch. Interested in learning more about radio? Check out rsgb.org or ask that neighbour with strange aerials on their house. Lost Hamill will return next week.